0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Stay Sharp webinar series, episode number three. I'm Tim Rabithan. I'm the Director of EMP Client Success, and today I'm joined by Scott Mallon, President of the EMP Division.
1: Hello, everyone. How are doing?
0: And Matt Baker, Director of Digital Marketing and Analytics. Good morning, everybody. Or good afternoon, everybody. Good to be here. And uh, the title for today's uh, webinar is yes, the Facebook controversy matters to you. Now, before we begin, I'm just going to run over a quick few updates that uh, we have to EMP this month. Um, as you would have already seen, we now have a confirm your action pop-up window uh, when you turn on emails. So this is just a verification confirming that yes, you are about to send this email to 20,000 students, and please confirm your action. Uh, The next feature that will be coming out later this week is the upgrade to the user statistics page. Uh, We've improved the features and uh, display of this page. You'll now be able to uh, look at user activity and have five benchmarks. You'll be able to look at more detailed touch points being allocated by your users in EMP. Uh, You'll be able to manage and follow the number of to-dos being conducted by your, your reps. And, uh, you'll be able to track the students assigned to issue your reps and the various stages associated with those students. So some usual, use, useful features coming out. And, uh, as such, we'll, uh, we'll keep you informed for the, uh, the new features coming out for May. But on to today, the Facebook controversy. Now, you've definitely heard about this in the news. Some of you may have paid close attention, others may not. But today we're going to go over how this affects higher ed. Um, So, first off, gentlemen, I'm going to ask the question, what is at the heart of the Facebook controversy?
1: Well, it's funny you say that because you can't watch the news and not hear this. This is amazing that actually uh, Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress and the House talking about this whole issue, and this has long-term ramifications for higher ed. Business in general, how do you market digital? Um, we think that this is going to have some major changes coming down the road and I think we'll get a little bit into, you know, our predictions on where social media is going to go a little bit with some of this, but, um, I think we'll start with, you know, what is this controversy? What did Facebook do that's so bad? Who is this, uh, uh, Cambridge analytics, um, and, and just in general terms. So to, to start with this, if you know, you look at Facebook, um, You know, when they first started out, they didn't make a cent. They were a startup. Uh, They grew that business off of free usage by their customers, Um, and they went burned through so much money it wasn't even funny. But a couple of years ago, before they went public, they needed to take that user base and actually make money off it. And if you look at any social media company, the goal is to get to a point where you have enough users where you can start marketing and advertising to them. And that's pretty much what Facebook did. I mean, I think in a year and a half, Matt, they went from zero revenue dollars to billions.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, today they're at $41 billion. And that's like they grew 52 times in the past, like in size over the just eight years. I mean, it's not that long and they've just exploded in terms of their actual uh, revenues. And those revenues are coming from advertisers, right? I mean, what social platforms and really any of these free platforms provide is this user base comes in, they use it for free. And we kind of know that our data is being used, and that's really the reason that we're able to use it for free. Um, but as long as the content we're able to engage with is relevant and the ads that we're getting through those platforms don't seem intrusive or offensive or things like that, we're generally okay exchanging our data for something that's really valuable to us. Uh, the question here is, is that going to change? And Facebook uh, kind of, you know, the the... Uh, cover was lifted on the engine. people looked inside and realized what really was going on and where that data was going that they didn't necessarily expect it to be. Um, it's kind of bringing into question, you know, these large companies that provide all this service and have all of this data that they're acquiring and a lot of private people and are then selling that to marketing companies or really anybody else who will give them money to push ads out there regardless of
1: their purposes. So I, I feel that if you look at Facebook, when they first went public, It was the Wild West of data. Basically, some of their practices were so open, where literally you can start scraping your friend's data. And on the pretense that who's using this, they promise not to use it for other uses. I mean, that's just crazy when you think about it today, you know, with with data.
2: And, And Facebook would put in a lot of, you know, safeguards, they would say, right? Where, oh, we're going to approve ads, we're going to review them before they get published. But what they wouldn't necessarily know is what was what really being done with that data outside of Facebook and outside of the, the marketing. And that kind of brings us to this Cambridge, the Cambridge Analytica company. Um, effectively, what they were, for those of you who don't know a lot about it, um, it was this data mining company. And really their job was just to get a whole bunch of data from a bunch of different places and use some algorithms and AI and whatnot to generate certain results and certain algorithms for their clients. And where Facebook came into the play with all of this is there's this feature, login with Facebook. And then you've probably all seen it login with Google, login with Facebook, login with LinkedIn. Um, all of these different platforms that, again, have free products for their users um, effectively have tried to plug themselves into other places. Uh, so it's this kind of mutually beneficial relationship where you know, a certain app or a website can integrate via API with those platforms. And it does. It, I don't, if I'm already logged into Facebook, I don't have to log in again. I don't feel like I'm giving that company my data. But, in fact, I'm giving them way more than what I thought I would normally if I just created an account.
1: Yeah, beyond what you
2: think. Beyond, exactly. Yep. And, and in the case with Cambridge Analytica, the way it was all set up is they actually wouldn't just get that person's account. Um, I think it was they had some polls and, you know, take the certain tests on your personality and those, you know, kind of uh, interactions. Um, but what they ended up doing was through the API with Facebook. Facebook just allowed them to not only download the data for the users, but all of those users who were logging in, all of their friends, um, so their network and their personal information and what their interests and behaviors and likes were. Uh, and those people never opted in. Those people never you know, knew that their friend was going to be giving their data to Cambridge Analytica. Um, so we're looking at 87 million users is what Facebook has currently admitted. Uh, that's relatively unconfirmed.
0: but So it's not just... Facebook, I mean, I've heard this Cambridge Analytica brought up a lot in the news and, I mean, this is a, a UK-based organisation and yeah. I heard myself in the news, I mean, they're based in Oxford Street, London, and I actually yeah. used to work for a company just around the corner from there and <laughs> I, I couldn't believe this and, and I was like, how does a company like this have so much influence and power? I mean, from my understanding, this information was illegally obtained. I mean, how do we stop this happening in the future or do we not? I mean, yeah. is this something we have to think about in terms of
1: Security well, and the it. The, the scariest part is that data is out there, and you can't get it mm-hmm. back. Yeah. Uh, you know, Facebook keeps apologizing, but they've already done the the deed, and they've already allowed all this data out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I heard a report this morning that um, the jet, one of the actual professor that built the algorithms for this uh, profiling, he's basically said there's probably. Twenty thousand companies out there that has that data set yeah. that are using it for who knows what. Yep.
2: So yeah, the, the, it is so hard to track it. It's, yeah. it's not just like this, uh, you know, specific file. And I mean, today with the web and, and just the way things are transmitted, if they just emailed it once to somebody, it could be in how many different locations, right? But known or not known.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it cats out of the bag on that one. Yeah. Um, but going forward, I think you're going to see some radical changes coming about data privacy, I think you're going to see a cultural shift, too, coming. Um, One of the things about Generation Z is there – I mean, we all do it. You think about how many times we go to, you know, accept the terms and conditions. Does anyone ever read that stuff? I think you're going to see a little bit more – data shift to people actually reading or trying to get a handle on what's going on with my data. Well, what's interesting about that is
2: during uh, Zuckerberg's, um, I would say, you know, his, his interview questioning with Congress, um, they the one, the one uh, senator, who probably has seen this maybe a clip online or whatever, um, asked him what hotel he stayed at. And he was very resistant, right, I mean, understandably so, um, to just disclose to the entire world where he was sleeping that night, right, um, felt somewhat uncomfortable with it. Um, but the question that he kept answering was, you know, like, well, how, how come this is okay? It was, well, it's in our user agreements. Like people accepted the fact that their friends could share their data to other people without them knowing. And it again begs the question of, well, is today are these terms and conditions, just this, you know, massive legalese you know, document. Is that truly consent? Is that truly making people understand what's going on? And I, you know, I would say that probably most people would agree that it's not, um, it doesn't really uh cut the, doesn't really meet the standard for consent. Um, and it, but in the U.S. there's nothing that really defines
1: that or gives us any sort of a... So that's a good lead-in to the other part of this is what Europe's doing about this. Yes. Yeah, and I was going to ask,
0: you know, I, I lived in Europe for 10 years and I would imagine in the U.S., you know, with the majority of uh, uh, colleges and universities that we're working with, I mean, they're pretty familiar with privacy laws and regulations in the U.S. But, you know, we're, we're targeting international students, you know, we have a lot of Students coming from India, China, but also a lot of Euro- European students as well. And and I, I've heard this term GDPR. Now, is that is that an acronym for good PR, or what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, and
2: potentially so. Um, this is a there's a the EU passed this bill um, or I see these standards, uh, and it's called the General Data Protection Regulation GDPR. Um, bit of a mouthful. But what's really interesting about it is they're effectively setting the standard that has the potential to really become a kind of a global um, benchmark. And what they're saying is for all people who are EU residents, and this applies to any companies that are actively recruiting people in the EU that are residents of the EU or EU countries, um, is that those individuals have a have personal rights. And effectively, there's a little bill of rights when it comes to digital data. Um, it's a Obviously, this is a 21st century concept. This is not something that existed 500 years ago. Um, but they have access as a right to their personal data, to correct their inaccurate data, data records, you know, if you have Google result result, that's inaccurate in the U S to read the stories about people trying to fix that. And to very little avail, uh, transfer their, their data to a third party, these little mundane things. But what's really important and is kind of a game changer is these two rights at the end, um, to be forgotten and restrict processing. It that's a huge this, one. Yeah. This idea of, I, I want to, I would, I want you to delete all the data you have on me to, all the personal information this personal identifying information, um, that you, you know, knowing that a certain piece of information or a certain interaction was me with me as an individual, you can still know when it happened and what happened. Oh, somebody did such and such and they were in a general area, but knowing that it was a specific user, um, is needs to be eliminated. And then also this idea to be able to, pro- to object to profiling and automated decision-making. Um, when we look at a marketing standpoint, um, you could see things like you go to a website and those retargeting pixels, those cookies, right, that are just kind of by default dropped on your computer. In the U.S., um, California has a law that's kind of become standard practice where privacy policies have to be listed on the homepage and so on and so forth. That's really the only notice that people get that something's targeting their computer. Um, but you'll see more and more companies making you opt in, a little pop-up, say, hey, we're going to retarget with cookies. Are you OK with this? I'm sure we've seen some of that you know, recently from some of the leaders in it. Um, but it's, it's a total reversal. So instead of us by default, being able to target you and track whatever you're doing, um, it's really the opposite where you're asking for them, their permission, um, and he uses permission to do that.
1: And and the thing about this is, again, this is only affecting EU residents when this rolls out. So, you know, how much of do you, how much do you recruit to Europe? Um, how much, not a lot probably, but, what you're going to see is all the big tech firms are going to have to abide by these laws. And, of course, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to start putting things in place for the EU, and they're going to naturally start slowly trickling down to the U.S. Yep. market. So we think that – and then, again, what's going to happen is lawmakers are going to see the effect in the in the EU market, and you're going to start seeing some of this coming here. It's going to be a much harder battle to get these kind of laws in the United States just because it – I sometimes feel Congress doesn't even understand this. It's so far <laughs> behind the times.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's, there's a lot of big business that, uh, you know, data is, is a massive business. I think, um, you know, we, we had on the slide a little earlier, but it's this, uh, you know, $2 trillion a year and 16 trillion gigabytes of data are 16 trillion gigabytes, right, are, are accumulated every year. Um, it's a huge industry. So this idea of, uh, you know, giving people ownership of their data, it would totally flip. You know this whole industry on its head, um, but with that comes a lot of opportunity. And the EU is doing it. Um, I do think you're going to see legislation come out of this whole Facebook issue. Congress is looking into it. Something is going to need to be done. Um, they want to be able to tell you know all their folks at home that are worried about their data getting leaked that somehow they're going to be able to restrict that. But the private parties absolutely will. Google, Facebook, they're going to roll it out to everybody.
0: So, Matt, you've talked about you know the, the big picture, the effects, and, and generally how this relates to marketing. So. Can you interpret, I mean, translate this, How's it going to affect colleges and universities in the U.S. and how does it affect them, you know, communicating, and marketing to their students, their prospective students?
2: Absolutely. I, there's, there's a number of ways. Um, I would say, you know, we know that change is coming and obviously we can't always predict what that exactly is going to look like. But you've seen it even just over the past few weeks with Facebook itself, right? It has rolled out a bunch of privacy changes, put a bunch of more tools in people's hands. Um, Google's done it as well. Where you can look and see what apps have access to my data and what do they have access to things that just never really were in front of the end users um but that trickles down into other things um there facebook's scrutinized advertising i mean there was the um kind of you know off the wall example more of an extreme example of um the school franciscan university of studentville uh they had a, a an ad on, on good friday actually um with this kind of historic San damiano cross and a facebook rejected the app because it said it was um kind of extreme content, right? Uh and that was, you know, I'd say be somewhat they they then adjusted the image a little bit and it got approved. Facebook kind of apologized for it. But But, there's a lot more scrutiny.
1: But what's what you're saying here is as we start to you know catch this uh extreme uh views on the internet, you're gonna start catching some that aren't. So that's a huge that's a huge problem now. We're gonna see the opposite of that is all of a sudden Facebook and some of these other platforms really trying to cut down on you know, all the storytelling and all the outlandish stuff that's going out there. Um, but, you know, algorithms can only do so much. They're also going to catch everything else in that net.
2: Yeah, and it, it, the interesting thing with Cambridge Analytica is what they did is they created these profiles on this all this data they had access to that probably wasn't, it seems not to have been legally acquired, um, was that the whole goal was to create these very, very targeted, hyper kind of focused, hyper of, uh functioning personas of people um, within the social networks to be able to give them ads that would influence their decision-making on a political topic. Now that's like really sensitive because it feels really close to manipulation, right? There's this line between, you know, uh, making it targeted and, and very, um, uh, you know, relatable to the person and relevant to them, but also not just playing into their own fears and, and likes and dislikes and I'm selling them something, a bill of goods that, that really isn't accurate. Um, and that's what they're trying to prevent.
1: Yeah, and I think the other big thing is Generation Z and their trust in apps and technology. That's a, that's a big one. This is going to – I could see a definite trend where you can see people moving away from some of these platforms um, or new platforms coming online. Even if you look at Facebook alone, I mean – it's not like they're going anywhere. I mean, because there are parts of the world where they are the only Internet access for, for whole groups of people. But in the U.S., I could definitely say if you look at the demographics right now, the average age of the of, uh, Facebook users going up, not down, which is, you know, for marketing to higher ed, that's something that, you know, you definitely have to consider.
0: Yeah, and, we, and we've just been talking about Facebook only, but I mean, there's plenty of other social it mm-hmm. works out there and platforms, and, and I know, Matt, you work with a few. I mean, yeah. this is relevant across the board.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's again, it's not just having to do with privacy. Um, I think this has kind of uh, awoken a bunch of people to the realities, um, especially Gen Z. They're, it's been well-documented. They're just natural trust to, hey, I would have to opt in and give you access to X, Y, and Z. Okay, I want the app. I'm not even going to look at the list, um, you know, much more so than the older generations, their parents would. We're a little bit more just suspicious of technology as a whole, um, whereas the Gen Z isn't. Um, so as the, that kind of bail is being pulled off, I do think you're going to see a focus um, from their end there. They've been very focused on keeping other people out, you know, privacy from their parents, privacy from other people they know, um, but not so much privacy from these companies that are giving them these tools. Um, but I mean, you take an example like Snapchat. Um, people love Snapchat. Snapchat grew because it was this temporary messaging platform, right? You'd message it, it would go away. Which isn't nobody temporary would see anymore. It, which is true. <laughs> and there's this belief of, oh, well, once it's up, it's not permanent, um, which we all know is you know, quite uh, you know, erroneous. But the EU is trying to make it that way, right? They're trying to you know, give you some control over that. Um, but what's interesting is Snapchat, probably a lot of you have heard, there's been a lot of turmoil for them. Um, both the uh, you know new um, user interface that they they rolled out a little while ago to uh, very very poor reviews, um, as well as other just you know social users that pretty much just said, "Hey, one of the Kardashians, right?" Pretty was like, "Yes, yeah, so I'm not on Snapchat anymore. Um, you know, I'm just i leaving. Why? Why would I even? I haven't checked Snapchat in a month or something." And this the stock plummeted. You know, I don't know how many you know percent. I haven't heard a one person say the
1: new interface is any good.
2: No, it's amazing. Not. And the, the challenge with Snapchat is. I would say the reality with them with Facebook is they're probably not going anywhere. They still do have a really good user base. Um, It's still robust. Is that going to change? Absolutely. It it has the potential to. Um, And I think that as we look at the social networks that are here, where they come from, they can rise in a second and they can fall in a flash. So we want to make sure that we're uh, kind of on the the cutting edge of what are those that are emerging and where are those tastes? What does that say about the students we're recruiting? What what social networks are they using and, and how does that talk about their decision matrix?
0: So it seems like you know data is the core of what we're talking about here today, and and I just want to bring this back to you know our listeners, uh, our EMP uh, users, and really at the end of the day, we're, we just want to know how how is this going to affect them? You know, like data is the core of how they market to their students. Yeah, we work very closely. We're running these marketing campaigns for our EMP clients. So you know, what are their concerns? I mean, what do they need to be
1: aware of? So personally. To me, what we do with that, and again, you know, we're on the fringe of this. You know, We believe in using data sets and looking at what people are saying and then giving them that right message, which I think is fantastic. Um, it's what people want, what we expect. It's where you see the issue is when you're grabbing data that no one said that you want. For an example, anything we do, it's always we want someone to raise their hand, inquire. And then they're going to tell us their likes and dislikes, what they're interested in, and we're going to give them that information. Versus, you know, we're not going out there and and grabbing their names of their friends and trying to market to their friends. Everything we try to do, we want our clients to do, is be transparent in their data collection. So you think about it, we're just, you know, giving you the information you want, which this generation that's coming up now, and even our, our parents, we all expect it, we want a company to uh, understand our wants and likes and give that information to us. And even when you go to search, again, yes, uh, that student is taking the SATs or the PSATs or ACT, and they're saying, yes, I want to share my information with schools that might be interested in giving me that information. So people are opting in, and it's pretty transparent there.
2: It is. I think what we, we have to keep an eye for um, kind of over the next couple of years here is whether there's going to be a shift because there's a lot of students that are going to take any of these tests, um, the GREs, GMAT, LSAT, MCAT, you know, the undergraduate ones um, that are going to opt out. They're not going to opt in anymore. Um, there's always been a, a list right, of those that aren't marketable, like College Board or you name it, can't actually resell um, to you know interested schools or vendors. But that let me grow. You know, you may start to see that list of potential search names. Oh, that fit my, you know, demographic interests. That you know, kind of come from the areas that I pull well from with certain scores that I'm looking for. That list may shrink, and it's not necessarily because there's fewer students. It's just there's fewer students that want their name to be out there. Um, They want to do the search on their own. They don't want you know third parties just contacting them out of the blue. Um, And that definitely can affect strategy. And we'll revisit that a little bit later. Um, But I do think when we look at data, it can be this. Um, kind of this hard concept, like, well, where does it live? And exactly what do we have? And man, it seems like Facebook kind of, uh, you know, ran into an issue. They had, a, the doors were kind of open. Their whole goal was to get as many people using the platform and as many marketers targeting people relevantly as they could. And it, everything builds on itself, right? And it's a great company and they're $42 billion now. Uh, but how do you avoid that misstep? How do you make sure that your data is something you feel confident in? And that really comes down from us as a, as a company, um, like Scott had said, we only are collecting the data people are giving us, right? We're not scraping, um, we're not pulling that in. So the data that you upload, that you've bought from somewhere else, um, you can have confidence that that's that data is that data. Um, we're adding to that, you know, right? We're behaviorally scoring them when they're going on pages and clicking things. But again, it's only what that user's doing on their personal site. Um, we're not, you know, pulling in other data from that or other sites they've been on and pulling that into EMP. Um, it's purely based on their interaction with the.
1: Program. And even when we do digital ads. We are, we are, you know, maximizing your purchase of that, that email and maximizing the purchase of your address to target that person. But remember, they've raised their hand, mm-hmm. right? So we're just showing them information. If they are an inquiry, we want to show them about applying or depositing. Uh, and they expect that there's no real uh, pushback on that. Yeah. Where the pushback comes is when you start really, you know, when you're collecting information on people that haven't opted in and that's the, the crux of the whole Facebook problem which is amazing too because our Facebook ads still are effective when we run them mm-hmm. but again it goes back to because we're showing information to people that have opted in and that will never change
2: yeah I mean relevancy is, is the key and I think the the challenge with Cambridge Analytica was that they were so relevant um, and with a, uh, a specific purpose in mind that wouldn't necessarily uh, pass muster in a group as being above board right we um, would definitely, most people would agree it kind of ran the line of manipulation because it was Brexit and the uh, Trump 2016 campaign were the two kind of largest, most notable clients, both of which were relatively unexpected victories um, in the way that they transpired, um, kind of very late, kind of rolling out. Um, and, you know, you, it's hard to point exactly to what triggered that. Um, but what people's fears are is that there's tools like this that are out there that you can use to, as some said, you know, undermine uh, free speech, undermine democracy and free, free thought.
0: So, with with all these issues that we're now aware of, I mean, how can we assist uh, the colleges and universities that we're partnering with? Uh, how can we assist them in incorporating this into the communications? I mean, do they need to make the students aware of of you know, where they're getting their information mm-hmm. from? Is that something they should think about doing or avoid? absolutely? I mean, there's
2: there's a dump, a bunch of things that we can do. Um, really, our goal is to help ensure your communications are relevant and are powerful. Relevance is that secret. Um, that, that's what get, p- gets people to respond. Um, they're not just getting the generic viewbook; they're getting what's interesting to them. You're helping them parse through in a massive amount of options uh, by just giving them what's interesting and relevant at your school. But let's say you buy a search name of students, um, you know what majors they're interested in or you know what programs they're interested in or where they've been or what their different scores were or where they live. Take advantage of that when we're communicating with them, one, and really get refined with it. Um, you know, don't just give everybody the same message when you can get more detail and you can get variable. But then secondly, yeah, how do we acknowledge and let the student know, hey, if, we, if we've never talked to you before, if we did purchase your name maybe from a, another vendor that you would opt it into and you told that vendor, maybe it's College Board. Yeah, I'm interested in some you know information from other schools. Um, maybe it was a GRE list or whatever that may be. Is just letting them know. And I think a lot of our schools do this. Um, others, I, you know, I'm not sure they do it um, as regularly. Um where it's really just in the email or in the print piece just saying, Hey, you know, we got your name from the GRE, you know, graduates or Service or whatever it may have been, um, just to let them know uh where where it was that their name had come from. That definitely I think could be helpful.
0: And I've definitely seen that with the, with a lot of the clients that we work with, you know, with the EMP's ability to track all the individual sources for every exactly. single student, student record, you can actually uh finite the communication and say, Hey, we uh we realize you pop past our stand at such and such event and, uh, you know, we want to follow up with this messaging or, uh, you know, you attended this event or, you know, you can say, uh, as you mentioned, Matt, that uh, look, we, we know, you completed the GRE and tailor the messaging yeah,
1: to that. Exactly. Interview. Exactly. So at the end of the day though, um, there's always this balancing act between privacy and giving people what they want. So at the end of the day, yeah. I don't hear anyone saying that they hate it when Amazon says, People that bought this product that you just bought also bought this. We love that, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the same, but they're collecting data. They have a history of everything we bought. They have a history of what everyone else bought, and they're running algorithms to show us what we should buy. We love that. As a society, that's why we love the Internet. So it's always that balancing act. And I'll go back to, yes, being relevant and showing this content to people They're, they appreciate that. Then they don't have to go through the work of finding that, you know, that exact major or finding that information. They've asked for it and you immediately give it to them. And so don't forget that as you go move forward. And my biggest takeaway from a lot of this is, and that's something that we are always doing is, what is that next platform? Mm -hmm. What's that next way to reach these students? Because I mean, it's a, it's a volatile group. Absolutely. Kids coming up. There, I mean, look at the rise of Snapchat, how that just exploded under the scene. No one saw it coming. Um, when I first heard about it, I rolled my eyes like, that is the craziest idea I ever heard. You know, <laughs> take a picture and, and then it deletes. Why would you do that? If it's a great picture, you're losing it. And it exploded. I personally think Snapchat became so popular because it's a great camera and mm-hmm. it's a great way to immediately take a video or a picture you yep. put a filter on, bang, put it up there for your group of friends. Exactly.
2: Uh, and it, I mean, as we look at the, the sources of data um, and these changing trends, you know, hey, you know, there may be new social networks that we can utilize, but also if that student behavior going back a little ways um, does change and they're starting to opt in less. Uh, really, the key for us is to help you evaluate your list. So how did your list perform? Um, Tim mentioned, you know, the sources, right? And EMP are a really easy way to build groups and be able to evaluate using funnel charts, what was your yield on a certain you know, group of students that had a certain source? Um, so we can help you evaluate, evaluate those and look a little deeper as well. But also, what are your backup plans? If you're looking for more direct names, you're looking for more student names that you can message as prospects, what are some alternative um, sources of that beyond what you know? Um, you know, Christian Connector, if you're a Christian school, um, there are other, you know, obviously there's Chag and things like that that are out there, but um, there's a lot of different options. And the key for is really, if you're thinking of one and considering it, we'd love just to just have a conversation with you to make sure that you understand what it is you're purchasing, your data rights with it, what you can use, how you can use it, you know, what the quality of it and then judge it afterwards, make sure that in fact it performs. Um, it was worth the ROI. Um, I I do think that there is an opportunity right now just to talk about this topic. I mean, just send an email out. I know there's some graduate programs that are focused on, you know, Maybe it's um, uh, you know, data security or analytics or marketing or just business in general, whatever it may be. Um, there's, it's relevant. People know about it. Just a single email just to show that you, as a school, are committed to their privacy, uh, that this is a topic that you view as important in education. Um, I think there's ways to frame this, uh, regardless of your school, um, to communicate and kind of engage with your students.
1: You know, for my point of view, too, I'd love feedback, too, if people are hearing the new platform. You know, we're always trying to be up out in front of you guys, but there's some times when you guys might stumble across something that we can investigate and maximize before anyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Well, especially confirmed
2: too, right? I mean, if we hear it from three or four different places, um, that's something we've been looking at, seems like it's taking off, um, definitely it's going to help validate that.
0: Mm -hmm. So Matt, you mentioned briefly before, you know, opting in and opting out, so In terms of EMP, I mean, what are some of the best practices we should be advising? I mean, what should clients be following in order to to make sure they're managing this this issue correctly? That's a great question.
2: Um, It's probably one of the more boring aspects, I'd say, of the job. But EMP does allow you to have some insight into kind of students' um, temperature. Uh, So the students, there's this opt-out, right? It's included in, in all the emails kind of at the bottom of them. And if a student clicks on that, then there's an opportunity for them to enter a message why. Uh, this is there's a, a list of all of those opt-out messages located in the EMP settings, and those can be really revealing to you because what they may show is that students that have no idea why I got messaging from the school. I've never asked for information from them before, and you look at that student record and go, oh, I bought them from X, Y, and Z list, and then you see a couple more of them coming from that list, and you go, you know what? I think I've got to move that to the front of my email and actually say, hey, you know, we got your information from such and such and such. Um, you took the GRE, you took the SAT, whatever it may have been. Um, you know, we've identified you as a, a really good match for our school. Maybe you should consider us. So that's where the kind of messaging and the opt out element can come in. Um, But then there's some just really technical things that I would say are just good to do. Um, GDPR is going to have some changes probably for schools that have any sort of a a Europe potential presence. Um, Just updating your privacy policy a little bit. Um, EMP recently, we rolled that out so that you have privacy policies um, from your website or from your school site are included on all of the EMP forms. Um, and the pro pages, so definitely make sure you have that up. That's kind of like just the the kind of the, the easiest thing to do. Um, and then the last one is just we have a number of schools, and I'd say probably the wide majority of them have this, but just a simple little statement right on the inquiry form that just says, "Hey, you know, we are committed to your privacy. We're not going to sell your data or use
1: it in any you know any other way.
2: Um, we just want to know how to communicate with you and help you learn about
1: our school more." And I would just add, just be smart as you move forward. I mean, in the past, we've run into people deciding that they're going to go look for transfers from people that inquired two years ago, mm-hmm. which you know that is just like that's when you really start getting people upset. You just have to be smart about how you yeah. market. be honest with people. Um, you know don't opt people back in just because you figured you could get sneakily do it. That's just a, those are the things you've got to just not do absolutely. absolutely.
0: And I would just say, you know, at any point, just please reach out to EMP uh, client success teams. I mean, we work with many, many clients and, uh, you know, we can give it a lot of advice. We can see what uh, best practices should be and, and uh, how to best approach reaching out to these uh, student demographics and names that you are acquiring. Well, Gentlemen, it looks like we are out of time today, but Scott, Matt, thank you very much for Absolutely. your contributions. It was a lot I, of fun. I've, I've yeah, had, Nice had, uh,
1: conversation.
0: <laughs> definitely uh, learned a lot myself, and I uh, really appreciate your insight. So thank you very much, and uh, we hope you enjoyed today's session. And uh, please stay tuned for uh, information coming about next month's Stay Sharp webinar series. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.